Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and we've got a great show for you today. Uh, we've done a lot of interviews with intellectuals and writers and journalists about the issue of gender ideology and transgenderism. We've talked to some of the top experts on the issue, from, from Gabriel Kubi uh, to people who have detransitioned. But today I'm going to be talking to one of the most interesting and unlikely culture warriors on the issue of freedom of speech and transgender activism. And his name is Harry Miller. Now, those of you who follow LifeSite News or follow my blog over at thebridgehead.ca might remember the name Harry Miller because back in 2019, he was a fellow in Humberside who was called up by the cops, by the cops in the United Kingdom, after tweeting out a poem about transgender people. It was initially reported as a limerick, but uh, as Miller points out in our interview, it was not actually a limerick. And the police had compiled a list of 30 tweets that Miller had tweeted out and informed him that they were investigating him to determine if a hate crime had been committed. And I remember at the time in 2019, he tweeted out his back and forth with the Humberside police uh, with one Inspector Wilson. And he asked, did I commit a crime? And they said, no, but you've upset a lot of people in the trans community. Uh, Harry Miller replied, I do not believe trans women are women. How do I state that without causing upset? The inspector, why would you tweet that? Why do you feel the need? Miller, because I'm taking part in a national conversation, Inspector, but why do you feel the need to do that? Miller, because I am a citizen and believe political engagement is necessary, why are you asking me this? Inspector, because I don't see why you feel the need to say this. It gets worse. Miller, I can't believe you, a police inspector, are questioning my involvement in politics. What right have you to do that? The Inspector, you do have the right. I'm just asking you why you feel the need to engage in hate. Then comes Miller, hate, where's the hate? Him, maybe, it's the wrong wording. Got that? So an inspector, a member of the Humberside Police Department, showed up and asked a man from the United Kingdom why his political engagement was using the wrong wording, why he felt the need to comment on political issues, and why he couldn't, in short, just keep his big mouth shut. Now, he wasn't guilty technically of a crime, and yet the police were entitled to show up and to harass him at his place of work. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting about this is we've seen a whole bunch of cases like this happen in the United Kingdom over the last couple of years. There was the construction worker in Scotland who got fined for making fun of a biological man dressed as a woman. Uh, there was the young mother who was actually arrested and taken to the police station and detained. She was arrested in front of her kids for making comments critical of the transgender community online. This has been happening publicly, and this has been happening multiple times. And it's really staggering to consider that the force of the state is actually being used to suppress critics of gender ideology, especially in an environment where the British courts are very much out on whether or not gender ideology is valid. There is a huge cultural debate taking place, especially in Europe, on the validity of the premises of the transgender movement. But in the meantime, you actually have people that are enforcing the tenets of the transgender community by policing what people say online and then showing up to intimidate them in their homes and their places of work if they take the wrong line. And so without getting into too many more details, there was a, a recent event that caught my eye, which was the police actually visited a veteran and threatened to prosecute him 
uh, unless he was willing to agree to re-education training. And also he needed to ask his neighbors before he posted things because somebody was offended or somebody was made hurt or anxious by a tweet he'd made in relation to the LGBT community. And Harry Miller, who has been heavily involved in activism on this issue since his own run-in with the cops, was present. And so I was very pleased to be able to get a hold of Harry Miller, and this is our conversation. Well, before we get into the most recent insanity, I first came across your name, I believe, a couple of years ago now, um, for your uh, investigation by the police for, and correct me if my memory is wrong here, tweeting out a limerick that made fun of uh, men who identified as women. This is the odd thing. It wasn't actually a limerick. It was some piece of feminist doggerel that may be identified as a limerick, but in fact was not a limerick. Um, I, I, I was not the originator of it. I don't even remember retweeting it, but um, I most definitely did retweet it. And this, as far as the police were concerned, constituted what became known as a non-crime Hate incidents. Now, it wasn't the only tweet that I tweeted to catch the police's attention. I had said some other horrendous things, such as uh, I'd said um, I was assigned mammal at birth, but I identify as a fish. Don't misspecies me. So clearly, clearly, that kind of that level of sarcasm was enough to generate um, police interest. I also asked the question because I remember at the time. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner was claiming that they had always been a woman. So I simply asked the question, if that's the case, who won the 1976 Olympic men's decathlon? Um, because maybe a woman can't have done it. <laughs> so so, so it, it, was, it was on the basis of somebody being very concerned about these tweets that they contacted the police. And the police, being the bright sparks that they are, decided that they would follow it up and um, come round to my place of work to to check my thinking. Um, that ended very badly for them because I took them through the high court uh, and I um, trounced their asses. And in so doing, uh, the high court judge likened them to the Stasi, the Cheka and the Gestapo, which is not great on anybody's thing. What was it like when when the police came around to to interview you, and it turned out that it was for a, a tweet, like like literally a joke? Was that a surreal moment? Yeah, it was a surreal. No, what, what's what's odd is that I wasn't entirely surprised because I had seen evidence of um, police behaving bizarrely in relation to one or two other people. Nothing quite like this, I've got to say. Um, so I, I was absolutely ready for them because a, a long, long time ago, I, I was a police officer and I'm from a family of police officers. Uh, so my interest in law, in criminal law, is fairly high and reasonably substantial. Uh, but of course, also, this means that I'm not in automatic awe of a police officer. Um, because I know I know what they're like. I know that they, they fart the same as you and I do. Um, they're just regular naked people poured into a blue uniform. Um, and so that mystique just wasn't there for me. Uh, I'm also a naturally combative sort when it comes to matters of right and wrong, um, uh, particularly when I see overreaching, overarching bullies coming up against members of the public and thinking they can get away with it. Um, they were just unfortunate that uh, they came up against me. 
I remember uh, reading an interview with you. I think it was probably in the Daily Mail at the time where you said that one of the big mistakes they'd made was they had turned you from just a regular docker into an activist. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly. Yeah, they they single handedly radicalized me from being someone who'd finished. Um, you know, was was coming to the end of a career running a very successful uh, small business, and I was getting ready to sort of get my feet up and um, watch endless box set series on Netflix, etc. And they radicalised me. They turned me from someone who was no bother at all to a complete pain in the police's ass. Um, and they did that. They did that. So it's a day that they will rue and are ruing and will continue to rue. And so they should because uh, uh, they picked on the wrong guy. In fact, Toby Young, the acclaimed um, journalist and author in the UK, uh, he tells a story that um, he, he, he said that once somebody asked Quentin Tarantino, you know, what did he want to be when you grow up? And Quentin Tarantino says, "Well, I always used to look at those movies where, where, where the where the where the gangsters, you know, picked on the little fella, and then um, the little fella blew them all away." And he said, "You know, they picked on the wrong guy." And um, Quentin Tarantino says, "I want to be the wrong guy." And Toby Young wrote a headline saying that I was the wrong guy. So I now have that tattooed. I now have that tattooed on my on my forearm. <laughs> <laughs> so give us a bit of a timeline before we get to the, the most recent insanity. So the cops show up, uh, you take them into court. What sort of, uh, what sort of been your trajectory uh, since that moment, be, be becoming the wrong guy, becoming a pain? I walked to so the first instance, I walked the asses of Humberside Police, the chief constable of Humberside, who were the, the point of contact with me on that occasion. What they said, though, was that they were following national guidance issued by the College of Policing. Uh, so I, I took the College of Policing through the court as well. Uh, it took me two attempts to win that one, um, because in the first instance, uh, the judge ruled that the guidance was lawful. It was only following the guidance was that turned you into Hitler, uh, which was a little bit bizarre. So we, we took we took the Court of Appeal uh, back to court through the, uh, the Court of Appeal. Sorry, we took the College of Policing uh, back through the Court of Appeal. And at that second instance, we won. Um, so that's that's the position that sort of cemented my infamy in relation to uh, the establishment of the British police. It's from that position of forcing them to obey the law and rewrite their guidance and uh, warning them that there is a me around who will watch their every move. And when they behave similarly to other members of the public, uh, they run at the very real risk that I'm going to turn up and kick their asses. Um, and this is precisely, of course, what happened um, the other week in Aldershot. Maybe help the listeners understand one thing. So there's a lot of Canadian and American listeners here. And one of the things a lot of people will be confused about is the fact that, you know, the England is is the cradle of liberty. A lot of the a lot of the laws that guard our freedoms, you know, in the Commonwealth and in the United States are are born in England. And yet it only seems to be in the United Kingdom where people are getting arrested for saying stuff and for tweeting stuff. It's been in Scotland and England primarily where the cops have actually shown up to visit people for tweets, for th saying things on Facebook. There was a mother who got uh, actually arrested and, and put in a holding cell for, for things 
things that she'd said where, you know, a handful of feminist campaigners have also been targeted by the police. So how is it that this is legal? How, how is it that they can do this? I, I, I still can't wrap my brain around the fact that cops are visiting people for social media posts. Well, it's not legal. That's the entire point. It's not legal. It's never been legal. Ronald Reagan once famously said that we're only a generation away uh, from tyranny. And it's true. We've taken our eye off the ball and we've let we've let it slide. The police no longer operate on Pelian principles. They derive, they seem to derive their uh, their authority from somewhere else. They derive it from this strange notion of human rights. They derive it in the UK from um, from what's going on in Europe. We have a secret police force in the UK called the National LGBT Police Network. Now, this consists of officers across all of the forces in, in the United Kingdom, but you don't know who they are. And if you, if you try and get hold of the chief constables and say, which of your members are part of this national network, they come back and say, well, we don't know, or if we do know, we're not going to tell you. Um, they've got they run Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts, all the rest of it. They they carry the police insignia, and they take their they take their orders directly from Europe. They are part of the European wide LGBT police network, which takes its orders from Ursula van der Leyen, that takes its orders from the European Union. There has not been, unfortunately, a police. Brexit, our police force have elements within it that are operating a European agenda. That's the problem. And all of this goes on, it seems, under the radar until they happen upon the wrong guy. When they happen on the wrong guy or the wrong gal, then it's exposed. Because, of course, most people trust the police. Most people want to be more abiding uh, citizens. Most people believe it when the police say, look, you've crossed the line. You've broken a law, or if you haven't broken a law, you've come very close uh, to breaking a law, and we're going to have to sanction you, put you on a list, uh, blah, 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 blah. Most people simply accept it and take it on the chin. So they've been getting away with this for quite some time now. Uh, they invented this thing called the non-crime hate incident. And a non-crime hate incident is any incident at all perceived by the victim or any other person to be motivated by hostility toward someone who is gay, someone who is trans, uh, based on somebody's colour, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, etc. So basically, it is a heckler's charter. You can choose to be offended on somebody else's behalf, get hold of the police, and they will take your offence seriously and then place a sanction on the person who made the comment and made the offence. But because it's a non-crime hate incident, it never sees the inside of a criminal court. So that's how they've been getting away with it for so long. And that's why there are around about 200,000 of us in the United Kingdom that have these damnable things against our names. Um, that is that is the tragedy. They've The police have have invented a legal workaround. So what happens when you're one of these 200,000 people who has these non-crime hate incidents against your name? What are the implications of having that against your name? There are three things, really. Uh, the first one is uh, very often the police will visit you and scare the life out of you and make you feel as though you've done something very, very criminal. Uh, the, the second is you will appear on their database of hate 
um, because the justification for, for collecting these non-crime hate incidents is is the basic belief that unless there is intervention, then these non-crime hate incidents will escalate to violence, murder, and genocide. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on a list that is associated with assault, murder, and genocide. It it seems to me to be fundamentally wrong. But then there's an even more sinister aspect to this. Because the police have, have put you on a database of hate, if you apply for certain jobs in certain industries, particularly care industry, teaching industry, um, police industry, for instance, the police are at liberty to reveal that you are on a hate list and therefore significantly decrease the chances of you getting that job, getting that promotion, etc. This is exactly the kind of behaviour um, that, the, that the Stasi were guilty of uh, behind the Iron Curtain, behind the Berlin Wall. It's exactly the same. You didn't know what you'd done wrong. You just couldn't work out why you weren't getting the jobs you were you were applying for, even though you were qualified, even though you got a perfect disciplinary record. You wouldn't get the job. Why? Because the Stasi had revealed you, that you were on their list of persons of interest. And it's the same thing happening here. And I will tell you now, it's coming across the pond to America and Canada, because where Britain leads, others follow. So they can quietly destroy your life with no recourse based on expressing legitimate opinions online. Absolutely. And they're proud of it because in their minds, they are preventing the next genocide. The, 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 the police said that I, I, when I tweeted this, this infamous non-limerick, they said that I was on the staging post on a five-step journey which ends in the Holocaust. This is the mentality of the police. This is the mentality of the police. So I was at a, a crime conference a few weeks ago. Mary Poppins is now deemed to be a figure of white supremacy. So, so we now have a situation where the police, the police, the police cannot distinguish. <laughs> the police cannot distinguish Mary Poppins from uh, from Adolf Hitler. That's the position that we are in right now. Seriously, seriously, because you know, by saying that, by say, saying that uh, Mary Poppins is practically perfect in every way, uh, then clearly we are we are showing signs of um, gross white supremacy. One of the the interesting things about the the specific cases that have ended up in front of the courts, there was uh, a couple of years back to this fellow in in Scotland, a construction worker who ended up getting fined by a judge after having a couple of beers at a pub because he made fun of a biological male dressed up as a female. And, you know, the judge kind of excoriated him and explained why he was such a terrible person. And that's why he had to literally pay compensation for having hurt this person's feelings. But it struck me as, as kind of hopeful that ordinary, normal, not insane blue collar people who haven't bought into all this stuff that you often need several years of education to believe um, don't just push back against this, but but make fun of it. Do you think gender ideology has has rooted itself in the population to the same extent it's rooted itself amongst the elites? 
No, absolutely. The general population know full well what a man is and what a woman is. They know the difference. Uh, our entire history um, as human beings is based on the ability to instantly discern one from the other. If you're a woman, you can tell somebody by the gait of somebody walking down the other side of the streets at night or the footfall, whether or not they present a danger or not. And that danger is based upon whether they are male or female. Uh, we, it is it is hardwired into us. Uh, so no amount of telling us that people can change sex is going to actually change anybody's sex. And the wise, the wise amongst us, and those that don't want to, you know, become um, become extinct, will continue to discern the difference between males and females. It's blatant, it's blatantly bloody obvious. You have to pretend not to see it. You have to take up the position uh, that the people took in the emperor's new clothes, whereby you say, oh, yes, of course, that's a woman, because you don't want to be thought a fool or a bigot. That's the problem. So everybody plays the game, but nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. Now let's get into this this newest incident, which when I, I first saw the video pop up on my Twitter feed and I thought this has got to be fake. When I see this, these police showing up to to arrest a, a British veteran and then I saw, so I went looking for confirmation of the story and that's when I found your account of the events in, in, in The Spectator and I recognized your name right away because I wrote a couple of columns about, uh, about your own police interrogation a couple of years back when it was you on the other end of things. And I remember wondering, okay, so how did how did this guy uh, who wasn't radicalized when I first read about him end up at the scene of uh, of an arrest of another guy and then write about it for the spectator? So maybe 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 uh, maybe triangulate for us. How did this all unfold? A few months ago, we set up. Well, a couple of years ago, I set up an organization called Fair Cop. Um, that's done very, very well in holding the police to account. But you know, we have no bank account. We have no money. It, it relies on volunteers as myself and an absolutely superb barrister called Sarah Fillimore, who run it. But we, all, we do it all on a shoestring. Anyway, a few months ago, well, about a year ago, I, I, I became heavily involved with uh, Lawrence Fox and the Reclaim Party. Well, I'm not particularly political at all, really. Um, so I, I, was, I was happy to be with them because their politics are kind of my politics, uh, which is kind of good as I'm a chairman. But my real interest was in driving politics out of our foundational institutions um, so that in foundational institutions serve the entire populace, regardless of politics, without fear or favour. And we had the opportunity to do this by setting up a thing called Bad Law Project. So the Bad Law Project exists to, to do precisely that, to challenge bad law turned bad, well, good law turned bad through bad practice. And that is no better exemplified than through the actions of the police. So, you know, that 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 hit um, the UK and the world with something of a splash. And this war veteran from Aldershot was very much aware of, of my case and the Bad Law Project and the Reclaim Party. Lawrence Fox, a few weeks ago, uh, retweeted a picture of four intersectional pride flags. Um, and if you manipulate them into a certain way, then it the, the 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 vector within each flag joins together with the other vectors to suggest a swastika. So that went that went you know quite viral. And uh, this chap in Aldershot, this war veteran, he put it onto a Facebook post and just said, uh, "What do we think of this?" That was it. He simply posed the question, "What do we think of this?" He wasn't saying 
you know, I believe in it. He wasn't saying um, that we need some sort of fascist regime to drive out the gays or the trans people or anything like that. He simply posed a question in a debating forum, what do we think to this? Because he'd done that, somebody somewhere apparently was caused anxiety and, and, and so much distress that they had to get hold of Hampshire police. Hampshire police on a Sunday morning uh, two weeks ago turned up at, at his house in force, there were three of them, and informed him that this was an offence, that posting this picture was an offence. Even though they said that posting the swastika was not an offence, and neither was posting the intersectional pride flag, but through some metaphysics and magic that only the chief constable of, of Hampshire knows, by combining the two things, you created an offence. Now, he thought this was, was was a little bit crazy, so he questioned him a little bit more about it, and he pointed out instantly that he was not the one who invented the meme. It was a fellow called Lawrence Fox. They said, well, we're not bothered about that because it was your post that caused somebody offence. They said, okie dokie, we can downgrade this crime to a non-crime if you hand over £60 and uh, sign on the dotted line that says you're guilty and we will send you on a re-education course. Uh, and he said, well, what does this course entail? And they said, well, you will learn such life skills as asking your neighbour before you post anything else on Facebook to get the permission from them. And he said, I'm a 50-year-old man. I'm not asking my neighbours before I post on Facebook. And they said, well, then the other option then is to be prosecuted. And he said, well, can I just have a little bit of time to think about it? So they arranged to come back a couple of weeks ago, or 10 days ago, and he got hold of us, and we were there waiting in the kitchen with our cameras uh, for when they reappeared, and then we pounced. And so uh, describe what happened in that video that I think went pretty viral because a lot of big uh, conservative commentators uh, uh, tweeted it out. So your video did precisely what I assume you intended. The police were totally on point. It was like we'd scripted it. I couldn't. I, I could not believe that there was this intersection of arrogance and stupidity amongst these police officers. It was quite incredible. So we sat in the kitchen, we got cameras all over the place, and uh, we listened to what was going on. And again, they continued the shakedown. They were bullying the guy. He, they weren't interested in the law. They weren't interested in anything. They just said, no, we're not talking about any of that. You either, you know, you come down to the police station for a formal interview or that. And it was that point we burst out of the kitchen with our, with our cameras rolling. And uh, we threatened the police and told them that they were operating entirely illegally. Uh, we said, look, you can finish this now if you hand over to us £100 uh, and confess your guilt and, um, uh, and confirm that you will come on one of our courses uh, we'll write this off. But if you don't do that, we're going to steal your asses off. And that's when it all got a little bit nasty because rather than being doing the sensible thing and gracefully retiring from the scene, maybe to get some instruction from a more senior officer, they started banding around threats. They threatened to uh, arrest uh, the war veteran. At that point, I stood between the police and the war veteran and said, you're not arresting him. If you're going to arrest him, you're going to have to go through me. Uh, so they called for backup. Eventually, there were seven police officers there. I think three, the, one van, a couple of other police cars. Um, I stood my ground for as long as I could, but eventually I succumbed to the, uh, you know, it's, it's quite hard to argue with seven people who are carrying tasers and pepper spray when all you've got on your side is logic, reason, and the public. 
but I wasn't really help you much in the moment. So I gave myself up. I, I, I held out my wrists. They clapped me in irons, threw me in the back of the police van, drove me half an hour to uh, the prison where I was processed, thrown in a cell for several hours and questioned at midnight. They eventually let me out, I think, about seven hours later. And meanwhile, the war veteran, uh, absent of myself to protect him, uh, also gave himself up. Uh, they took him to the police station uh, and they then released him because he agreed to come back with the solicitor at a later date. I wasn't prepared to do that. I was just wanting, I just wanted a war. So when somebody, you know, takes you in and questions you till midnight, what kind of questions are they asking you? To be fair to the police officers in the station, as opposed to the police officers who conducted this ridiculous raid, the officers in the station were incredibly nice. You know, I did say as I left that could I, you know, if, if they were on TripAdvisor, I would write them a five-star review because the accommodation was great. They looked after me very, very well. I have no complaints at all. But the fact of the matter is I should not have been there. Um, they, they arrested me for obstructing a police officer in the lawful exercise of their duty. What they were doing was not lawful, and therefore my obstruction was not unlawful. And I pointed this out uh, at length during the interview. Now, I was released under, what was it called? Released under investigation. So they still haven't worked out what to do with me because if they say, oops, Harry, we got it all wrong, I'm going to kill him. And if they don't do that and charge me and take me to court, I'm going to kill him. Either way, they're dead. That seems like a really nice situation to be in for a change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we have this great thing called the law. We have this great thing called the law. And when the police break the law, we get to hold the police to account. We don't live in Nazi Germany. We don't live in East Berlin. What happened to uh, what happened to the veteran now? So obviously, are they going to charge him? They're going to prosecute him? By lunchtime the following day, the the local the politician who runs the, the 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 police in Hampshire, the Police and Crimes Commissioner, came out and absolutely condemned her own force. And uh, very quickly thereafter, Hampshire police confirmed that their interest in the war veteran had ceased. In other words, they realised they'd completely screwed up and wanted to get out of that one as fast as humanly possible. What they do with me, as I say, I just don't know, because they would love to prosecute me um, to try and dent my credibility, yeah, because they know I'm going to keep doing this. They know I'm going to keep taking chief constables to, to court. So they would dearly like to, for me to have a criminal record, but I haven't got one, and I don't think I'm going to get one anytime soon, because they're not going to make that stick. But they can't just leave me hanging either. So I don't know what they're going to do. I sort of, I, I laugh when I think about the the number of meetings that they'll be having, working out what do we do with Harry Miller and the Bad Law Project, uh, because we're a, either way we're a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. I'm a a big fan of when you're the um, when you're the smaller party, and we are the smaller party. We're the guerrilla force against the mass ranks of the state. Uh, what we like to do is to move very quickly, to uh, to be very flexible, to be very agile. And when we strike, we strike with absolute aggression without any mercy whatsoever. So this will end up through the courts because I want those officers sacked. I want the Hampshire police closed down. I want the chief constable sacked and have, having a pension taken off her. I want to do whatever it takes to teach police forces that they cannot do this 
to the public. So how do you break the system? Because what, what I'm seeing just having followed this issue for, for quite a few years here is now you're saying there's 200,000 people that are sort of in this category of a, of a, you know, a non-crime hate incident. And every time one of these incidents goes public, people are appalled. The cops back down. The politicians pretended they had no idea this was going on. Like whenever, whenever one of these incidents makes the news, it's generally speaking um, rectified, at least in so far as that the public is horrified this is happening. So what does it take to actually break the system so it stops happening so people aren't sort of like blackballed in a subterranean way that they can't identify we'll keep doing it and we'll keep shaming the home secretary into into acting you know i am i am doing bad, the bad law project and fair cop have been doing the job of our home secretary for the last three years eventually she's got to wake up and go actually that's my job i should be doing that i should be telling the police to obey the law i shouldn't be leaving it to Harry Miller. I shouldn't be leaving it to Fair Cop and I shouldn't be leaving it to the Bad Law Projects. I should do it. I am that person. I am in charge. But until the Home Secretary and the government do take their responsibility seriously, we will keep bursting out of people's kitchens to confront the police when they turn up like that. We will keep serving writs on chief constables and dragging them by their asses through the courts. We'll keep doing it. We'll continue with our guerrilla warfare um, of, yeah, you know, I'm going to go out and buy some spray paint. And the next time I see a police car that says uh, policing with pride or Stonewall police on it, I'm going to go and I'm just going to spray over the offending words because they are not servants of Stonewall. They are not servants of pride. They are not servants of any political movements. They are officers of the sovereign. And I intend to put that right. I guess a final question here would be, where can people find Fair Cop? Where can they follow the story? A lot of people listening to this are going to want to read more, and they're also going to want to get involved, and they're going to want to support you. So where can they do that? Okay, so they need, they need to go to at WeAreFairCop on Twitter or at BadLawTeam uh, on Twitter or at the Reclaim Party on Twitter. Um, type in the name Lawrence Fox. Type in the name Harry Miller. Um, you, you'll find us. You will find us. We're everywhere. <laughs> Mr. Miller, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been great. I really loved it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with culture warrior Harry Miller. If you'd like to check out past shows, many of which also address this issue, you can head to lifesitenews.com, click on the podcast tab. You'll find the Van Maren show there where you can subscribe to future shows and check out some of our past conversations. I do hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another one just like it. Thanks for listening.